0: I found uh, that normally by the t- by the fifth podcast is when the energy level really you know right. soups up. Yes,
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> the great. four warm up pods are out of the way. Now to the yeah, main thank event. God. Thank goodness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gamble on, fellas. Gamble <laughs> on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, U.S. Bets Senior Analyst Jeff Edelstein. This week on Gamble On, we'll cover bettors hooting and hollering during golf tournaments, what happens when a school teacher wins big money at odds a sportsbook didn't mean to offer, and a former Massachusetts dog racing track that suddenly can't find a sports betting operator to partner with. Also, in the bankroll segment... I'll tell a good beat story, and Jeff will presumably tell me at least three times that he shouldn't be forced to place bets outside of NFL season.
0: Also, we will be welcoming the foreman of fantasy... Matthew Berry, but you know, there's no like the, the only thing that like king of fantasy. But I wanted to like alliterate. So yeah, I wanted to go. I went with Foreman because sure. there's nothing the closest, the best you could come up with is Fuhrer, and that's already been taken, so you can't.
1: <laughs> right, for so, forefather, another possible oh, four
0: forefather. All right, rewind. Let's do it again. Also, <laughs> we'll be welcoming the forefather of fantasy, Matthew Berry, who sat down with us the other day after doing four other podcasts. Although there's little doubt this was the best interview he gave, hmm. mostly because you know. Me and Eric, I mean, mostly me, I guess. I don't know, whatever. But first, <laughs> you know, we're going to talk all things fantasy with them, And we're also going to ask him how many betting apps he's got on his phone. But first, as always, Eric, plenty of news to discuss.
2: Here's your Gamble On News of the
0: Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: Our first story this week It doesn't really feel to me like it should even be a story, but it's getting media attention. So let's talk about PGA Tour golfers and the distraction of spectators sweating their bets. Max Homa spoke after his round this past Saturday about what he described as a, quote, probably drunk fan yelling as he putted on the 17th hole, and that specifically the fan or his friend had a $3 bet on Homa to make the putt. This begat several articles and reactions about the trouble with legal sports betting and with in-game betting on golf, except we have no idea if legal betting had anything to do with this, as it may have been two buddies betting against each other. For what it's worth, Homa made the putt anyway, and the fan was ejected. Uh, PGA Tour Vice President of Brand Communications, Laura Neal, told ESPN this isn't rampant, and they've seen nothing outside the ordinary since gaming has become legal. John Rahm told reporters Tuesday that players hear spectators talking about gambling, quote, every single round, and a lot of outlets ran with that, even though his other quotes suggested it's not a big deal or a big distraction. Jeff, what do you make of all this? Is this story getting overblown or is there a real story here? And the mix of sports betting and fans being within earshot of golfers could be a problematic combination.
0: Uh, I don't know. Maybe the solution is for golfers to grow the fuck up, Eric. Uh you know, let's turn all <laughs> golf tournaments into the sixteenth hole at waste management, right? Mm-hmm. Problem yep. solved. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Sure, that what are we gonna do? I mean if there's if we if we are demanding decorum, I guess you gotta kick people out for screaming Noonan.
1: <laughs> As you but, know, I think the, the movie's overreferen- overrated, but I, I got the reference. I don't,
0: I don't care. Uh, I'm right. not going to stop referencing caddy Caddyshack. That's fine. That's fine. Anytime you mention golf. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's a problem, but, like, I think we're going to have to be a little bit more creative with whatever the solution's going to be. And, I mean, really, not for nothing. Like, you're a baseball player, Major League Baseball player. You're Bryce Harper or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're facing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs from 60 feet away, and all you got to protect yourself is a 33-ounce piece of wood and 50,000 people are screaming you're yep. an asshole right but you know you, you can you, you can't hit a golf ball you know that's not trying to hurt you you know with people screaming i mean if if everyone just screamed i mean they do it at the waste management thing i'm not even joking Right. so let, why don't we have a few tournaments where that's just that's just the norm let them scream i think it'll be more honestly i think it'll be a lot more fun it'll be a better tv experience
1: yeah no i agree completely with with that take that certainly i mean i'm a i'm a former serious tennis player and that's the other sport where everyone has to shush um so yeah the the golf and tennis fan etiquette rules are very soft Uh, you know the baseball player also what about the basketball player who has to shoot a free throw while everyone's waving those white foam noodles behind the basket um yeah it's all a matter of fan noise isn't an accepted part of golf and tennis that, that they grow up accustomed to. If we would just get rid of these ridiculous etiquette rules and say, yeah, people can scream during golf and tennis. Also they'd get used to it and this wouldn't be an issue. Um, but I'm annoyed by the way that this story took root and that legal betting and in-game betting made their way into the headlines. Cause this almost certainly had nothing to do with regulated betting, uh, there the way to sort of legitimately tie our industry in with this is to sort of take a step back and say that post-PASPA sports betting is everywhere the stigma around it's been greatly reduced lots of new people have become sports betters, and so maybe maybe these two drunk guys on the golf course wouldn't have been into betting a few years ago but legalization turned them into the sort of people who want to place a small bet with each other on every putt that's that's the case, I guess, you could make to loop legal betting into this, but it's kind of flimsy. This is basically just a story about what is and isn't accepted golf fan behavior and someone being a quote-unquote bad fan. This really isn't a sports betting story at no. all, in my view. Well, sports betting's just the angle that gets a certain segment of sports fandom interested in the story.
0: Why not make the angle, uh, you know, serving alcohol, like – yeah, instead of making it an anti-gambling article, let's make it an anti-alcohol article. You know, I'm, I, you know I've written about this numerous. I'm sick and tired of sports betting, getting this you know, it's just you know it's just such a low-hanging fruit that you yeah. can attach like anything to it, you know what I mean? By the way, before we continue, I just want to mention that all of my children are home, my wife uh-huh. is home, I got workers outside, and my both dogs are barking. so this is good. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is prime podcasting material. This is this is what happens when you try to take a podcast in the morning, late summer.
1: Right. Late, well. Late right. But this is also a really ties in with what we were just discussing. If you can podcast with all those distractions and noise going on, That's right. A golfer That's right. can hit his freaking five foot putt, even exactly. if a guy yells during the backswing.
0: Exactly. Uh, in right. fact, I invite anyone who's drunk right now to come to my house <laughs> and
1: screw my ear we are full disclosure recording it's currently 9 33 a.m uh, i hope it's not that easy to find a presently drunk person in your neighborhood
0: well i could holler out the window let's see what happens
1: right okay um our second story this week is a return to a topic that has popped up a handful of times since 2018 an error in a sports book's pricing leading to a debate over whether the winning bet should get paid out You may have heard a couple of weeks ago about Virginia teacher Chris Benton placing three Women's World Cup parlays on his BetMGM app, risking a little over $3,000 to win over $200,000, and BetMGM voiding the bets because they claimed the pricing was a mistake, the payout should have been much smaller, but they couldn't determine exactly what they should have been, so all Benton got was a refund. A few days ago, we got the news that under pressure in the media and on social media and under scrutiny from the Virginia Lottery, BetMGM has paid Benton his full winnings with a message from BetMGM's lawyer, quote, we hope you will continue to bet with us. This is how these cases have generally gone in the brief history of pricing errors in legal U.S. betting, FanDuel and DraftKings each having gone through somewhat similar situations and paying out in the end. But is there anything unique about this one, Jeff? And, and did you assume all along that Benton would eventually get paid?
0: I think the uniqueness was that uh Benton like has a pretty good handle on like how to like handle PR. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you know, he 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 immediately got out there. Um but no, he was gonna get paid. I I really I there's no way that Bet was gonna get around it. I mean once once the bet was graded, that's that's it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the end of the story. Um, they handled it pretty poorly from a PR perspective, obviously, by not right. paying the guy up front. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it should have gotten flagged at the you know point of him making the bet. If uh, then, at that point, should avoid it. I mean, honestly, even if it got flagged before the matches. Yes. Yeah, avoid it. You know, I get it. But what? Uh, once, once it starts, man, that's it. I mean, there's no way that they wouldn't have collected the three grand if he lost the bet.
1: Yep, yep. So
0: it, this is just, you know, this, this is like cut and dried. And BetMGM, they, they just look, you know, for anyone who wants to, you know, bitch and moan about the state of, like, the soft book model and the newfangled sports books, I mean, this just is like, talk about low-hanging fruit.
1: Yeah, I, I the the two things that annoy me here, you kind of, Touched on on one of them being the timing of of the voiding of the bet. Uh, you know, if if a sports book accepts a bet at a price that's offered an error, as you said, they shouldn't even accept the bet in the first place. Hopefully, but if they do, as if they discover the error before the game begins, and they say to the better "Here's what the actual price and payout are. Would you like to keep the bet at that price or have it refunded?" If that's all done before the game starts, and, you know, that's in the fine print as the sportsbooks rule that they can do that, I could live with that. Um, It's a bit of a slippery slope, like you don't want a sportsbook to then start trying to avoid bets because the odds have moved a little. Uh, You know, it has to be a clear odds error, not just movement. But, you know, it shouldn't be an issue. We're talking about obvious cases here, the odds being way off. But anyway, what you can't have is a book waiting for the outcome of the game and then saying, oh, that bet won and the price was wrong. Nope, voided, because then they're free-rolling customers. So yeah, either void it before the game begins or else the bet stands, win or lose. The other thing that annoys me about this one is the the we-don't-know-what-the-correct-odds-were excuse. That is absurd. They're traders, their algorithms, whatever, they have people who can assess, if not precisely then at least close to precisely what those odds, what those prices should have been. And if they'd done that, you know, let's say, okay, no, these weren't supposed to be 66 to 1 parlays. He was parlaying combinations of things that were actually likely to happen. And so the operator says the odds were posted in error. The actual odds for this parlay should have been plus 150. He bet 3,200. He's getting his 3,200 back plus 4,800 in winnings. Maybe Benton gets his lawyers involved anyway, but maybe not. Maybe he says, eh, I guess that's fair. And MGM saves a couple hundred grand. As you said, from a PR perspective, from a strategy perspective, knowing how these things usually end up, they completely mishandled it. Yeah. Uh, but w- once again, this is an argument in favor of regulation. You know, if this happens in an offshore sports book, there's no Virginia lottery hopping hopping in and no no legal recourse to pursue your winnings. So, you know, I guess it's a you can spin it into a positive industry story, perhaps.
0: Uh, Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Right. Yeah, if this happened offshore, then you have zero recourse, obviously. So, right. yeah, you're right. So good. Good.
1: All right. Good. 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 <laughs> I think that phrase is really going to catch on. I
0: don't think it will, but we'll try it.
1: Um, our final story this week takes us to Massachusetts, where the world's most deliberate gaming commission, as you know, Jeff, from covering a few of their meetings, has been deliberating over an unusual licensing situation. The former dog racing track Raynham Park was building a physical sports book and partnering with Caesars on it. But last Friday, the Massachusetts Commission was informed Caesars had terminated its relationship with Raynham Park, leaving the track with a mostly built sports book, nobody to run it and no license to operate it yet. Caesars does have a separate digital license in the state through its partnership with Encore Boston Harbor, but Raynham Park's licensing remains up in the air as the commission met for seven hours last Friday and a bunch more hours on Monday and then ended up simply saying they'll ponder, quote, next steps or, to be quite frank, if there will be any. The commission has never before approved a brick-and-mortar license for a track without a partner to run the book, so this is a unique situation Jeff, any thoughts on Raynham Park's impending decision where they can either have a self branded sports book, find a new digital partner, or just eat the sunk cost of the mostly built sports book? And are you sad that you weren't tasked with covering these meetings? <laughs>
0: Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh all right. First of all, Jessica Wellman of SBC America's her tweet thread on this was hilarious. Apparently, mm-hmm. and I didn't get the, too deep into the story, but there was like the owner of the company was only pretending to be the owner of the company. Like he may was or may not have ever been the owner. It's like it's a complete shit show. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I it's I I I I'd have to go deeper into the story to really, really have a good opinion on this. But I do have a very, very strong take. On the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. Okay. Um, so, no. To answer your question, uh, no, I was not sad that I was not <laughs> tasked in covering these meetings. And honestly, after covering a handful of these meetings, I'm telling you as my direct supervisor, if you ask me to cover some of these meetings again, I might fucking quit. (laughs) Listen, listen. I am all for being a team player, but watching the Massachusetts Five talking about gambling regulation – I'm going to metaphor here – is like watching paint that never dries dry while someone is sitting behind you very gently but also very (laughs) deliberately tapping a nail into your
1: spine. The Massachusetts Five definitely sounds like a criminal organization. They are
0: horrible. They're they. I mean, it's like these five people. Like if if someone walked in into one of these meetings and said, "Hey, it's sunny outside," they'd spend ninety minutes debating
1: (laughs) debating whether it's sunny or whether they go outside or both.
0: Both. So it's an. We're talking three hours. I once (laughs) saw a great quote attributed to uh, House. I think it was attributed to Joe. It was about Joe Negro, uh-huh, and apparently he was very deliberate in his actions, okay. and somebody said, quip that it takes him an hour and a half to watch sixty minutes.
1: That's a good line
0: It's a good line
1: uh-huh
0: that is the, that these, I'm telling have you ever have you ever had the pleasure of sitting through one of these meetings?
1: I have seen after the fact clips on YouTube, like when editing check, fact checking some articles, seeing what they said, or whatever. so I have gotten a sense of how it works, but no, I've never had to sit through a whole meeting.
0: I All I know is, you know, anytime that anyone like ever poo-poos like, like some regulatory body, quote, rubber stamping something,
1: I applaud. Just rubber stamp. Just <laughs> rubber stamp it all, right. Move Just on. say good, good. Good, good. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um I will uh, give my not very informed quick take on uh, what I think they may do here. I'm, I'm going to guess that they won't end up deciding to eat the sunk cost, but – You know, with sports betting cooling off in terms of companies being confident they can be profitable doing it, I I guess it's not as unthinkable as it would have been a few years ago for them to just say, we spent some money building this thing, but let's cut our losses now. Um, I mean, that's what all the digital sports books pulling out now are basically doing. That's what WinBet did. Um, I'm very interested to track this in terms of seeing if some other operator partners with Raynham Park. It'll act as kind of a statement about the state of the industry will rush street want in to the state will bet 365 want in massachusetts isn't a a tiny state but you know if if nobody's jumping at the opportunity to enter yeah it's another kind of damning statement about how much the books outside the big four are struggling to turn a profit so i I think it's interesting to watch and see what's going to end up happening here
0: I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens here, except for the fact that I'm not going to watch it.
1: I will just <laughs>
0: wait for it to be over and then, find well, and then read a one-sentence recap.
1: I have bad news for you, Jeff. I've already no, booked I next quit. week's guest. It's the Massachusetts Five. No. They're joining us on the podcast.
0: that would, no, that would be, that, Clear, that would be
1: clear seven hours on your schedule next Wednesday. <laughs>
0: I would love okay. to have them on. Get them all booked, and then ask them like one question, and then like you know, what do you think about sports betting? And then I cut them all off as soon as they start answering. Say like, thanks for your time.
1: <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling.
0: Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
1: Lots of people will tell you they saw the fantasy sports explosion coming. Very few people have the proof of being ahead of the curve that our guest this week has. He started writing about fantasy for Roto World in 1999, started doing it full time a few years later, and by 2007 was ESPN's director of fantasy sports. He now hosts Fantasy Football Happy Hour weekdays at noon Eastern on Peacock. Every NFL Sunday, he hosts his fantasy football pregame show at 11 a.m. Eastern on Peacock. And he'll be in Kansas City on September 7th with his Football Night in America teammates to kick off the NFL season on NBC and Peacock. He's also the founder of FantasyLife.com, which just closed a strategic seed round with investors, including the likes of LeBron James, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow. He is, of course, Matthew Berry. Matthew, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I wasn't, just for the record, I wasn't asked to join that seed round. I'm waiting, you know, I'm waiting for the next, the third round. But, you know, listen, with the talented Mr. Roto, you were one of, if not the first, like real uh fantasy analysts to strike out on your own uh today, of course you know you're everywhere, including fantasy life, which is obviously your own, but like it seems like in the last like four or five years, every analyst, my dogs included big, smaller, otherwise uh have gone out and started their own business um a lot some people just on youtube uh some people on the traditional web I mean, where do you think we are now in the fantasy analyst space? Have we kind of reached a glut? with these you know with i mean because there's so many different sites and again it used to only be the domain of like the roto grinders the roto worlds the roto wires but now you know there there's got to be over a hundred sites out there i mean do you think this is the way it's going to be going forward do you think there's going to be consolidation on this you know is there room for everybody
2: uh it's a great question now there's a lot of people doing uh content a lot of people doing great work we're getting into much more fragmented and it sort of depends i mean listen it's still kind of a mom-and-pop industry like it There have been definitely, you know, there's people that have taken advantage of it. You mentioned a couple of sites, uh, all three of them, Roto World, Roto Wire, and Roto Grinders. Not every site in fantasy starts with Roto. But to your point, Roto World was started by, uh, you know, two guys as an offshoot of a company called All-Star Stats. They ultimately sold to NBC Sports. Roto Wire recently just sold to Gambling.com. My friend Peter Shanky and Jeff Erickson, those guys over there, they did a great job. And then uh, Roto Grinders sold to Better Collective a few years ago. So, you know, Cal Spears and all my buddies over at, uh, at Roto Grinders. So, uh, I think there is, there's going to, so there's some people like that, that have, that you know, made real businesses, if you will, out of, out of that. But there's also still people that like, it's a passion project for them and they're, you know, if they make a few bucks here and there, that's fine, but it's not how they make their living or it's not what they're, you know, they're doing it because they, they love it. So, uh, I think like anything, um, you know, too much of a good thing can be uh, you know moderation and everything. But I would never uh, want to say, hey, don't pursue it. What's exciting to me, I think, is just how much fantasy sports and sports betting has grown. So in addition to, you know, it used to be just sort of sort of single, you know, season-long fantasy football. And now you have you have DFS, you have many versions of DFS, whether it's the player prop type games, whether it's the you know, the the big tournaments, the DraftKings and FanDuel's of the world. You have you have dynasty leagues that have really uh, become much more popular. Best ball has become much more popular in the last few years. And so lots of different versions. Superflex has become much more popular. as a way to play season long fantasy. So there's a lot of different uh, ways that you can play fantasy. Obviously, sports betting becoming legal in so many states. So as a result, with so many more ways to play, there's more needs for content around those ways to play. And and so, I mean, it's one of the things that that. You know, I've dealt with, it's one of the things we're doing at fantasylife.com is we're covering a bunch of different, you know, if you go there, it's 100% free. But if you go to fantasylife.com, you'll see we have rankings for best ball, for dynasty, for half point PPR, for full point PPR, for tight end premium leagues, on and on and on and on. And, you know, I'm an investor and uh, equity holder in a company called Betsports and Betsports owns a number of websites, Uh, dynastyleaguefootball.com, which is specifically about dynasty for, for football com for four dot com, which is specifically around sports betting, DFS and season long fantasy football. So there's a number of different um, avenues there uh, that I think, uh, you know, there's there's still a lot of opportunity. And ultimately, I think like in any industry, Jeff, I think the cream will rise to the top that if you're providing value to the to the listener or the viewer or the reader, then, you know, they'll find
1: you. It's fascinating with the way that you've made such a successful career of this. And and. Looking back, you know we all have these sliding doors moments in our careers. If I'd done this one thing, I could have been a millionaire, or or thank God I did this one thing; it launched my whole career. What's your thank God I did this one thing moment? Your sort of a inflection point above all others.
2: Well, I don't know that it's a thank God I did this. I think it's a more thank you know I got fired by Rotoworld, and um, back in the day, and now I'm obviously I'm back as it back at it. But like that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like there's a couple of moments, right? um sending an email to World and World. so World, this is 1999 World had advertised for writers and i was really obsessed with fantasy sports and i was living in in hollywood as a professional writer working on on movies and tv but i was obsessed with fantasy sports i was playing in many many leagues and i um uh i saw that there were and i tried to get a job at a couple of places i tried to actually get a job at rotowire I tried to get a job at a, a site called KF Hotel, which no longer exists. I tried to get a site, a job at the Sporting News, and I just couldn't get it. And uh, for, for various reasons, like Sporting News would have given me a job, but I'd have had to move to St. Louis. I wasn't moving to St. Louis. And like, um, RotoWire me just wanted me to do like player news. And I'm like, I don't want to do player news. I want to write a column. And so whatever, just for whatever reason, there wasn't a fit in any of these places. And But RotoWorld World advertised for writers, so I sent an email. No response. Sent another email. No response and it was just some sort of email address that was like jobs at rotoworld.com and then i sent it like a third email like hey i haven't heard anything can you just tell me like you're not interested in me just so i know somebody read this email no response and i read this site enough that i knew that the site was run by a guy named matthew pulio and so i wrote and matthew put at the end of his column his own personal email address 1999 and again this is dial-up so i sent an email to matthew pulio saying like hey man I need some advice, but not fantasy football advice like you normally give, or fantasy baseball advice. I need career advice. I tried to get, you know, I saw this posting. I think I'm a professional writer living out here in Hollywood, but I think it'd be so much fun to do a com on the side. Could you help me out? And, you know, could you give me some advice? Do you know who's doing the hiring at Roto World? Could you, you know, put me in front of them? And he said, I'm the one doing the hiring. He says, the problem is, is that that inbox got so overflown, you know, got, just exploded with, you um, emails and people that were interested that i just haven't had time to go through it all he goes but i looked you up on imdb married with children is my favorite show of all time you're hired so because i because i wrote for married with children because i wrote mean wife jokes for al bundy i got to um uh i got to write for free for a low traffic internet website and um that was sort of how i got my start so that was a moment where like thank god i just I didn't take no for an answer. I just didn't, Oh, they're not responding. I guess they don't like, me. like that had nothing to do with it. Just, you know, they got so many responses and he was one guy. Uh, I found out later that basically for the, for the first few years, Roto world was Matthew Cooley. Like he was literally the only guy running the entire site. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, another thing that was happened is that like after four and a half years um, it's a long story, but uh, that I won't go fully into here unless you guys really want, but, but uh, in essence, I ended up getting fired by Rotoworld, uh, and um, you know they. The short version of the story is, is that I was making uh, fifty bucks a column. I think I was making a hundred bucks a week. I was writing two columns a week for a hundred bucks, and uh, this is you know whatever two thousand four, and money was tight, and like most of the money that they were making, money were like offshore gambling ads, and like they just make didn't make a lot of money, and All Star Stats, which was the commissioner service they were tied to, that was the money maker for the company. So they came to me and they said, "Hey, uh, we're having some money issues. We want to we want to give you a pay cut. Um, we'd, we'd like to, you know, pay you twenty five bucks a week instead of a hundred. And I th- I've been there four and a half. And I said, "Wait a minute. So I know that I'm the most popular columnist on the site. You guys have told me I I drive by far the most traffic. And after four and a half years, as the number one columnist on your site, you want me to take a three hundred percent pay cut?" And they said, well, when, sound, when you say it like that, it sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hey, well, screw you guys. Like, yeah, like, I mean, like the difference between $25 and $100 a week didn't make a big difference in my life, but it was the principle of the math. Sure. And because uh, I was doing it for passion. And so I thought to myself, I thought, you know, but instead of, I said, all right, well, let me think about it. I had, that was another like sort of big moment, that, you know, like glad I didn't, you know, tell them to buzz off. You know, and I thought to myself, I said, ah, at the time there were these things on Yahoo, like these, I don't know if they were specifically called, but they were like fan groups. So anyone on Yahoo could set up a fan group, you know, or some sort of like community and you could set it up. And so you could set it up in a way that you could, anyone could join the community, join it for free, but they had to give you an email address. Because at this time in 2004, this is pre MySpace, you know, uh, Facebook, any kind of social media. So my thought was, is like, you know what? I'm going to go to another company. I'm going to go to Rotowire or somewhere else. I'm going to just, but let me suck as many email addresses out of Rotoworld world as I can before I leave, because I wouldn't have had a way to be like, you know, I couldn't like tweet out, Hey guys, guess what? Now I'm over at this website. Right. And, um, and so I just, I, we were coming up on a baseball season. And so I put a column, I put a link in the bottom of my column and those days in Rotoworld, world this is how backwards it all was. Like you posted your own column. Like, you know, just like, I didn't like send it into an editor. It was just like, there was a <laughs> where you just literally went to a link and like I just, you would click submit and boom, it was on the website. No editorial oversight whatsoever. And so I wrote my column as normal, but the end of the column, I was just like, hey, by the way, I've set up this fan page on Yahoo. And if you want my draft day manifesto this year, it's free. It's not part of any draft kit. I've made it free, but you just got to go to this website and give me an email address, you know, kind of thing. Sign up for this. And so it was literally just my idea to try to pull out as many email addresses as I could from Roto World before I told them to buzz off. And after like three or four weeks, they finally realized that I'd been doing this. And so on one hand, I was kind of bummed, like, really? No one, no one there actually reads my column? They don't realize what I'm doing? <laughs> but then they very rightfully fired me. They were like, all right, you know, like, this is outrageous. You're fired. You know, like, you're fired. Which is uh, un- completely understandable that they would do that. Um, but then they, then they went and looked at the Yahoo group. And at that time, like, after like three weeks of like one link in my column at the bottom, I had something like, I don't know, 10,000, 12,000 wow. members. Mm-hmm. Like I had a, you know, there is was just like a really, and they were like, holy crap, that's, that's a lot of people. And they're like, um, why don't you come back and write for Road
0: <laughs>
2: And what had happened at the Yahoo group is like, people started leaving me messages. Hey, Matthew, I've got, you know, I can keep this guy in the third round or this guy in the sixth. What should I do? Blah, blah, blah. And, um, and what would happen is other people would be like, well, I'm not Matthew, but I think you should blah, 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 blah. And this like this de facto message board all of a sudden just grew out grew out organically among my fans, and um, they Roto-World came to me and said, "Hey, I, we've noticed all this activity on your on your, your little Yahoo group. Why don't you tell everyone to come back over to Rotoworld? We're gonna we'll put some message boards on Rotoworld. You can come back and you know all's forgiven." And I'm like, "No, yeah, sure. you know, <laughs> um, no, it's, all is not as forgiven." And I, but so what happened is is like my initial thought was I was gonna like again try to go to another website and just write. And the success of that little Yahoo group, I thought maybe I can start my own thing, and so I started TalentedMrRoto.com. dot And as a result of that, but I did go back to Roto Rule and I said, "I'll tell you what, though, I will come back and I'm not gonna I'll, I'm not gonna put my users on your forums, but I will I will write for you again, but in exchange, and you can keep your twenty five bucks a week, right? But I want you to link to TalentedMrRoto.com. And they said, "Okay." So I went back and started writing for them. And I realized this I didn't understand anything about venture capital at the time, raising money, Shark Tank hadn't aired, anything like that. So I thought the best way for me uh, to get the word out, I didn't have any money to go hire a spokesperson or run ads. Um, And so it was bootstrapping the whole thing. And so I basically realized that the best way to promote it was me. So I went to every radio station, TV station, and website I could find and said, I will come on your air for free. I will write for you for free. Just link back to my website. Just mention my website. And they all said, okay. And so I did that. And so just starting it sort of out of necessity was you know kind of a big moment. And then, um, and then the next thing that, that sort of happened, and, um, and then we can move on to another question if you want, but uh, I'd spent like basically three years doing that doing just like building this website and uh, just busting my ass and writing for the website and doing the business stuff at night and trying to do as many appearances as I could just trying to like get people to be aware of this website. And my whole plan had never been to be what I am now. It was just sort of, I was just trying to build this business and try to make you know, a few bucks on the side. But what happened is, is that I found out I was, you know, I was all right. I was comfortable speaking in front of a microphone I got better at it as I kept doing more and more reps. And there weren't a lot of people in the fantasy sports industry that could say that, that it was mostly sort of awkward writer types. And, and I was good or at least passable in front of a microphone in front of a camera. And I started doing some stuff for ESPN first ESPN radio in LA, the Mason and Ireland show shout out to Steve and John, Steve Mason, John Ireland friends to this day. I still do that show every year and uh, they put me on the air. And then once I was doing radio in LA, I, I ended up meeting somebody from cold pizza. If you remember that show. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, uh, so I started doing a weekly segment on cold pizza, which led to me doing some stuff for ESPN, the magazine and ESPN news. And I kept just doing more and more stuff. And finally in 2007 ESPN came to me and said, we think fantasy football is big enough that we need a guy. <laughs> we've been talking internally and we've been talking how we need to find a Mel typer for fantasy football. Hmm. And, uh, at that point my website was profitable and they were like, we like all the stuff you do for us. So we'd like to buy your website, move you to Connecticut, and make you the guy. And that was a total, you know, I was living in LA. I was enjoying life living in LA. Um, and that would, you know, it would have meant giving up show business. I was working as a screenwriter, a successful screenwriter. And that was a big, holy crap, you know, like, do I completely, I'm 35 years old, do I completely change my career, you know, at 35? And I said, yes, I will move cross country where I knew. Obviously, that's how it worked out. But I decided I decided to move cross country where I knew nobody, leave all my friends and family and start a brand new job at a corporation I never worked at before. And, you know, it wasn't now it seems like a no brainer. But at the time, fantasy football wasn't this thing. It was like still this nerdy niche thing, you know, and it was just like we want you to, you know. We'll see about if we can get you on TV and, you know, you'll write for ESPN.com. And, you know, it it wasn't nearly as obvious a choice as it might be today in 2007, but I decided to do it. And um, so, yes, saying yes and packing up and moving cross country at 35 years old, leaving all my friends and family to go live in Bristol, Connecticut. Um, (laughs) That was, you know, that's another kind of sliding sliding doors, you know, moment. I'm Very curious
0: cool. that 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 the 10,000 or 12,000 emails you got in a month, did that like, were you stunned? Did you have any notion that it was as big None. as it was? Yeah.
2: None whatsoever. No, that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, that's what gave me the confidence to be like, oh, you know, if I can get that many out of like, whatever, three sure. dumb little emails for fantasy baseball, even, you know, like, there's something here.
0: You know, let's let's bring it into the present for a minute. And as one of the leading voices on on Yahoo Groups, um, give me three of your hot takes for this year.
2: All right. Well, I'm no longer. I fair, know. I know. I know. I'm no longer.
0: I <laughs>
2: formally formally one of the leading voices on Yahoo Groups. I. Um, I didn't um, even know Yahoo had groups. Yeah, I don't think they do anymore. I don't know. I, um. Um. Uh, uh. So three hot takes for this year. Uh. I I have Anthony Richardson as QB 12, and I think I'm too low on him. Okay. Right. Everyone else has him like his QB 16, but I right. think Anthony Richardson is a top 10 uh, fantasy quarterback, and I think he surprises a lot of people uh, with his passing, and I think I think he's going to be awesome.
0: Good. I like uh, that. I've, I've been loading up on him on underdog. so good. We're one for one. There Keep going.
2: You go. One for one. Um, I mean, he's my fantasy ride or die, so – I say Amon Ra St. Brown of the Detroit Lions finishes as a top five fantasy wide receiver.
0: I could see that. I like it. I'm relatively heavy on Amon Ra. Yeah. And um, is this hot? Um, hot take.
2: I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, think about.
1: Uh... We'll take a warm take. I'll set
2: you up with one. How about this? Because oh, I. This is really a hot take.
1: Right. The second
2: best fantasy quarterback in the NFC East this year will be Sam Howell. All right. That's very hot.
1: Better than, uh, uh, better than better than
2: better than Daniel Jones, better than Dak Prescott, both of whom are good fantasy quarterbacks. He's not going to be better than Jalen Hurts, right? But he's be better than Dak Prescott and Daniel Jones.
0: well that mm. that qualifies Stan, as hot. Sam
2: Howell of, of my beloved Washington Commanders. <laughs>
1: the important thing is you put Jalen Hurts of my beloved Philadelphia Eagles ahead of him. So, then how Dude, could you not? <laughs> that would be too hot of a take.
2: Well, he's my he's my number one fantasy quarterback this year. I mean, he was my ride or die last year. So, I mean, Hertz is going to have a monster season, but Sam Howell is going to surprise some people. And, uh, you know, I think probably less so after last night. But um, I'm, you know, people have been accusing me of being a homer because I've been talking about Howell for a while now. And after last night, people were like, oh, hey, Barry might, Barry might not be a homer on this one. Sam Howell might, <laughs> actually, uh, no. Sam Howell might actually be good.
1: Um so I'm curious matthew what, what's your level yeah. of engagement with sports betting like how many apps do you have? how often are you betting? do you bet a lot of player props because of your fantasy interest what are, what are your habits like so
2: i have uh, I have two oh, I have many betting apps to be honest with you, I have many
1: betting apps
2: um uh almost I'm signed up at almost every book that's legal in the states uh, I live in Connecticut ah, so you Canet- only have
1: two to choose from. <laughs> right
2: right we right exactly so i mean the answer is is like you know as a user um like you know i had i had a deal with betmgm last year through nbc they were our partner last year and so i would when i would go to new york i would bet on betmgm you know and i but living in connecticut FanDuel and DraftKings are the only two that are allowed to me legally so that's where i spend the majority of my my money and my time is on those two apps those are the two companies that i i bet a lot but yeah i mean like listen when i went to when i went to ohio you know for the can for the hall of fame game um you know i signed up for tipico and you know um bet365 and you know all the ones in ohio that i didn't that i wasn't a member of yet and so yeah but i i um i i i bet heavily during football season i do a lot of player props i'll throw a couple of parlays down i usually like i i will um, last year, you know, I would do a same game parlay. There was always a berry boost that we would do on football right. night in America. And I was, I would always personally bet my berry boost, even if I was in Connecticut and I couldn't bet it on BetMGM. MGM, I would bet it, I would build it on, you know, one of the other sites. Um, and so, uh, so definitely a lot of player prop stuff and I'll do some sides and totals as well, uh, for football. And then, uh, the rest of the year I'll pick my spots, you know, if I have a strong feeling about, you know, a, a pitcher some, some, I like NBA. I'll do some MLB as well. Um, kind of like betting on the WNBA every <laughs> once in a while, um, you know? Um, so, uh, so yeah, but the majority, I 85% of my betting is done on the NFL.
0: Okay. Yeah, I like betting on WNBA too. I, I did all right this year. I did all right. Yeah. Uh, all right. One last question for you. And I'm, it's kind of unfair. I'm asking you to look to the future, right? But crystal ball time. What what do you think is next for fantasy football? You know, is DFS going to continue to survive and maybe thrive, especially because FanDuel and DraftKings seem to care more about sports betting and casino now? Best ball seems to be growing exponentially. Uh, what's going to happen there? Season-long, is that going to remain the granddaddy, or are people going to migrate maybe to best ball? Where, what do you see 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the future for this world?
2: I think it's all just I, – I think – handling more this is a bit of a cop-up but i think it's more of the same i think you'll see more innovation i think you will see more and more dfs and sports betting blending you know um uh you know you, you mentioned underdog i'm a big fan of underdog full disclosure i'm also an investor i have a i have a you know small piece of equity in that company uh, but uh so i'm a big fan of what they do like i think you'll you know they they've wanted to get into sports betting as well and i think you'll see more blending there's some people that feel like some of the dfs stuff you know, bleeds heavily into, you know, parlays and props and it's, you know, really sports betting with disguise. So I think you'll see even see more blending of that. I think you'll see more hybrid games. I think you'll see more innovation as we've seen, like again, so there's dynasty and, uh, and salary cap leagues. And I think you'll see even more kind of versions of that and more versions of games that are between that borderline between fantasy and sports betting or DFS and, uh, and season long fantasy but no i don't think anything will replace uh, season long fantasy football it's so interesting when passfa was overturned i did a lot of interviews around that and people were like oh you're worried for your job you know you you're worried about uh, you know now that sports betting is legal you know no one's going to want to play fantasy football and i said i love that you think that no one has bet on sports up until now <laughs> i love you <laughs> I love that, you you know, that question presupposes that literally no one has ever bet on sports, and now that it's legal, suddenly people are going to start betting. Like, it was a multi-billion dollar industry. They could just now do it legally, you know, not, you know, they they could emerge from the street corners and, like, could do it, you know, from the comfort of their home on a mobile app. But obviously, like, sports betting has been a massive industry for a long, long time, and season-long fantasy football has emerged throughout that, and it always will be, because, the value proposition to a player of season long fantasy football is still very different than the value proposition of DFS or sports betting for a fantasy football player, season long player. It is, I'm getting together with my bro- with my buddies, whether it's my fraternity brothers, whether it's my coworkers, whether it's my family, whether it's my friends, whether it's all my girlfriends, whatever it is, your group of people, we are getting together and we are going to a bar. We're going to a destination we're gonna we all get on a Zoom or something like that, but we all congregate one way, we draft, we catch up, we hang out, we BS with each other, we give each other crap, we offer terrible trades, we argue and haggle, like you know what I mean? Like it is a social community. And that's the value proposition. And yes, you 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 know, some leagues play for money and you win something at the end, but no one I talk to plays season-long fantasy football because of the payout at the end. Like there's a better way to make money than that, right? If you're just if you just care about the the money, then play DFS, right. Play DFS. Um, enter you know enter a GPP on Andula DraftKings, try to win yourself a million dollars whatever it is, right? Or you know again create some crazy parlays in sports betting. The to me the value proposition of DFS is is the again it depends on which version of DFS, but it's like you know, if you think about the salary cap version, it's like, you know, using using your mind to build the best possible lineup. And it's a thrill of like, you know what, I could throw 20 bucks down on a Sunday morning. And by the end of Monday night, I'm a millionaire. And yep. it might be a one in a hundred million chance or a one in, you know, whatever, 500,000 chance. But there's a chance that I turn this $20 or $5 or $100, whatever the, the entry fee is into a million dollars in less than 48 hours. Yep. And with sports betting, I think the value proposition is, is like, eh, right again, you know what? I'm not really into, uh, I'm going to go to Mohegan Sun. I'm not, I'm not really into the Aces and the Suns game, but wait, the you know, and the, 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 you know, the Mohegan Sun versus the Las Vegas Aces. But wait, the Aces are getting three and a half here. I, Come on. Yeah. Man, oh man. <laughs> all right, now, now I'm interested in this game. Yeah, right. like, again, like, I think the value proposition of sports betting is it obviously gives you a rooting interest in ga- games and players that you wouldn't normally have. And there is the chance for a big payout too, depending on your odds. But um, I feel like the people that, that, that bet on sports, it's more about having action on a specific game or player or something like that than it is really chasing that big payday out of like a parlay or something like that versus DFS, where I think the, the the thrill is more about potentially those big paydays. So that's what I'm saying is I think the value, all of those, whether it's DFS sports betting or fantasy uh, sports, specifically fantasy football, all of them have an underlying theme of, it gives me a rooting interest in a game that I might not otherwise care about. Might not. (laughs) But that that rooting interest is um, the, you know, that rooting interest then manifests itself in a different way, whether it's social, whether it's a big payout, whether it's just like, Hey, you know, I want a little action on the game. I just, you know, like, yeah, let me, you know, I'm going to try to win 50 bucks here because I, you know, I think there's no way, Je- you know, Trevor Lawrence throws only, you know, one and a half. I think, you know, there's no way he throws less than two touchdown passes. So, you know, it's one and a half at minus 110. Give me the over. I'm in. I'm in on Trevor Lawrence, whatever it is.
1: All right, fantastic. I know uh, your, your pick's got to be coming up soon in the next round of the draft that you were in just before we started. So we'll let you go. But uh, Matthew, it's been great talking to you. And I think the one plug I didn't give at the beginning is your Twitter handle at uh, MatthewBerryTMR. So check him out there. Matthew, thanks so much for coming on Gamble On. Thanks,
0: Matt. Hey,
2: it's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. and I hope everyone checks out uh, you know FantasyLife.com. We've got a lot of great betting tools, all free on FantasyLife.com, some prop tables and stuff like that. We also have some season-long uh, and DFS tools as well. Again, everything's 100% free at FantasyLife.com. Two men.
1: Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up
2: or blow
0: it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
1: Let's update our betting bankroll. And I'm going to start off with the rare good beat story. Uh, We had Mariners team total over five and a half last Thursday for their game against the Royals. They scored one run through the first five. They got one more in the sixth. The bats woke up for three in the top of the eighth, allowing them to head into the ninth with a 5-4 lead. So we needed either an insurance run in the top of the ninth, or we needed the Royals to force extra innings with one run exactly in the bottom of the ninth. Top nine? Fly out, strike out, two out solo homer by Cal Raleigh to win us our bet. Never a doubt, Jeff. Never a doubt. Uh, so we won $100 on that and unfortunately lost it all back on all your little Paul Goldschmidt yeah. props. Yeah. That was,
0: I was very disappointed. <laughs> at yeah.
1: <that> one. <laughs> no homers, so I, I had no high, doubles. I had high
0: hopes. I had high hopes.
1: Yep. No, nope. didn't happen. But at least they were all just little bets added up to 100 bucks. You also had two $50 NFL preseason parlays. The five-teamer went two-and-two two with one push. The two-teamer went one-and-one, one, which means... The Ravens.
0: You... The Ravens.
1: Yep, yep. the Ravens it. let you down on both. Although, thankfully, the first one didn't come down to just the Ravens. It was it had already right. lost.
0: But... but we had said this last week, that, of course, I, now I'm going to bet the Ravens, and they're like three billion win streak, and yep. it's going to be over.
1: Yeah. You're a cooler, Jeff. It's what you are. <laughs> I might be. <laughs> um, so we are now down by $2,140 after losing 100 for the week. Uh, we also have $2,629 on hold in futures bets, which includes a, a small wager by Bennett on Rory McIlroy to win the FedEx Cup. He bet him at plus 550, and he comes into the Tour Championship this weekend down to plus 330. So Good one there. We'll be sweating that. Uh, but for now, we have $5,231 available to, to bet with this week. And you're up first, Jeff.
0: All right. Uh, it'll be my first of many plus 1,000 NFL parlays. Okay. Uh, this is for week one. This okay. is, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a bit. All right. I like, here we go. Falcons minus three over the Panthers at home.
1: Uh uh-huh.
0: I think Atlanta is just a better team, period. Bears two and a half over the Packers at home. Same rationale. Uh-huh. Uh, Giants three and a half, getting three and a half at home against the Cowboys. Hmm. I don't really understand that line. I think if the Cowboys' name were any other team, it wouldn't be that high. Okay. Uh, and I want the over fifty and a half in the Miami Dolphin Charger game. Uh, I'm at DraftKings here, eighty two bucks to win like roughly a thousand at eleven twenty two
1: odds. And that's two. To return a thousand, including your eighty-two back, or to win a thousand, you state it sometimes in a way I that confuses I I, me.
0: I, I'm trying to make. I was trying <laughs> to make math easier for you. I don't know. Just eighty-two bucks at eleven twenty-two. You. Fool.
1: Okay, I'll figure it out after the yeah. fact. Uh, in the unlikely event that this wins, I'll have to. Do oh the no! Calculation. This is, is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All
0: right. I'm pretty, I, 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 I mean, if I, if
1: it doesn't, which of these legs? Which which is the leg that lets us down? Which one are you wavering on here?
0: The over in the Miami Charger game. I think. I mean, I think both offenses are dynamite. But like, you know, just that week one, you, I don't know. You just, it's, you know, you don't know. I right. like I, the Falcons at home, the Bears at home, the Giants at home. I don't. I don't know. I think they're all. I think the Falcons are better. Are, are more than three points better than the Panthers. I think the Bears are more than two and a half points better than the Packers, and I think the Giants are better. I almost went with the money line there, but right. I, I took the, the three and a half.
1: You very, I mean, very you know, conservative that, view, conservative of you, not to take the money line there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think the cow. I think the problem with the Cowboys this year is that their offense is going to be stuck in mud because you know everyone thinks you know like this like Dallas, high flying Dallas, you know, right. fast paced Dallas offense, but it's not anymore. Right. They got rid of Kellen Moore. I, I it's I I think it's going to be a little bit of a slog. So I think the three and a half points, you know, it's a seventeen fourteen loss maybe for the Giants.
1: Sure, I can see could see that. Be. All right. Um, I will start us off with some boxing, uh, heavyweight fights on ESPN Saturday night. Lots of names here, Jeff, that you're going to be very familiar with and that you could easily pronounce, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> in the co-featured bout, it's FA Ajagba against Jean Kosobutsky. Uh, it's a close matchup on paper, but I think Ajagba's is a, a teeny bit overvalued just because US audiences are more familiar with him than they are with Kosobutsky. Kosobutsky is a Minus 138 favorite at FanDuel, and I think he should be a little heavier than that against the physically strong but rather deficient in skills Ajogba. I think he should be like minus 175, maybe even minus 200. So a bit of value on Kosobutski. Straight money line bet here, 138 to win 100. And in the main event of the card, uh, your nickname's sake, Big Baby, remember him? Uh, Jared Anderson, uh, he is a massive favorite over Andre Rudenko, as he should be. But the odds are lopsided in favor of Anderson winning by KO, whereas I think there's almost as good a chance it goes the 10-round distance. Rudenko is really tough, has only been stopped once, and in that fight, he wasn't even really hurt. He was just holding on incessantly, and they stopped the fight. Uh, We can get Anderson by decision at plus 450. So uh, let's do just a little sprinkle on that, $30 to win 135.
0: I disagree with that one. I think that should be more <laughs> than a sprinkle. Like your 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 rationale for it makes so, it, it's so, so solid, and you're just putting thirty bucks on it.
1: I don't know. How much, I but... I do, uh, all right, are you talking me into? A, 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 six, I was going How about hundreds? A little steep, but how about I double it? Sixty to win two seventy. That's all good, right? right? Yeah. Right. fine. Okay.
0: Uh, Will Anderson, defensive rookie of the year, plus five hundred. Caesars hundred to win the six hundred. There, hundred bucks at plus five hundred. Okay. I like Will Anderson. He looked I mean the what I've seen of him in the preseason, he he, he I mean, he's a monster.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I the, I, I believe he's, you.
0: He's fast. I haven't watched him
1: at all, but okay. I just
0: saw some I just saw some clips and it, it was enough for me to it, it sold me at that price. I mean he's the favorite. <laughs> right. And, I, I, and so to get a, a favorite at plus five hundred, I don't know.
1: I like it. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Okay. Good, 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 good. Right. All right. Uh, all right, my next bet here. The world has been waiting for us to risk some bankroll dollars on FIBA World Cup basketball. So uh, sure. so let's do that. Uh, and what could be a more profound sign of the times than two Jewish podcast hosts betting on Germany? Shows how far we've come, right? Um, <laughs> in, uh, in Mike Seeley's preview article on Sports Handle, he noted that the odds to win Group E aren't giving Germany enough respect. Uh, I'm finding them as high as plus 175 to win the Group with Australia the favorite around minus 160, and then Finland and Japan are the two in the group that have almost no chance. But Germany has a good squad. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, the Wagner brothers, Daniel Tice. Um, Australia's good, too. A lot of NBA players on that squad, the standouts being Josh Giddy, Patty Mills, Joe Ingles. But it seems close enough that there's value at plus 175. So uh, let's go, Germany. $100 to win 175 that they win Group E in that group stage. Let's go, Germany.
0: Uh, all right, my final bet. I, you know, I've been betting a lot of Chargers futures. If I remember correctly, yes. So let, let's get one more down. Because if okay. I'm right on all the other ones, I'm going to be right on this one.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, you Brandon do realize Starr, how that translates, also, to if you're wrong about all the other ones.
0: Yeah, I don't like thinking that way.
1: Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure you understood how that sort of thinking works. But okay. All right.
0: Yeah, I don't. Why would you do that to me? <laughs> Day. Uh, Brandon Staley, Coach of the Year, plus twenty five hundred at BetMGM for a hundred bucks, going big. Wow! Again, we, if we if do I already
1: remember. have one Coach of the Year bet on. Um, what's the? I'm blanking on the Lions' kneecap-biting coach, Campbell, Campbell, Campbell. Yeah. So you got one uh, on him. So you're spreading Campbell. it out a little bit.
0: Okay. I oh, I'm a spreader. Um, <laughs> remember, I did this with B. John Robinson. I had like I had him going to three or four different teams, and we ended up right. uh, making a pretty penny on that deal. Okay. A pretty fake penny. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's so yeah. I got the charges from the Super Bowl. I got er, her. I got an MVP for Herbert. I think I got. I got a lot going
1: on. I there, guess the so. thinking is basically if they win that division ahead of the Chiefs, yeah, then Stanley has to be very strongly considered. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Uh, I I do wonder how much people whether how much of an uphill battle he's fighting just off the fact that he comes into the season with a lot of people kind of low on him based on their playoff flame out and all that so whether but but maybe that works for him if they do win the division despite people coming in thinking one thing it it flips them strongly enough that they're ready to vote for him for coach of the year
0: well i mean they also i mean i'm gonna name check kellen moore again they brought kellen moore in to be the oc they i mean I I mean, I've been reading so much about the Chargers because I am, like, literally, like, in all my, like, underdog and everything. I'm, like, 30% on, like, Herbert and Williams and Keenan Allen and Eckler. I am, like, heavily invested in in the Chargers' success this year, Um, which means, you know, they lose 10-7 week one and I'm just, you know – not going to be happy, but uh, you know. <laughs> but no, I mean, I the, the, it there. I think there's a very and and they you know they they spent you know draft capital on Quentin Johnson, you know, another receiver. Right. I mean, it seems to me like they are really like they realize. I mean, in that and in the AFC. And I think I said this a few weeks ago. The last team that scores is winning that conference. Right. You know what I mean? So you got to keep your foot on the pedal. I think you know. No, I mean, is you know when you're playing the Chiefs, when you're playing the Bills, when you're playing the Bengals, when you're playing the Ravens. Uh, when you're playing, maybe the jets, when you're playing, maybe the Browns is a, you know, 27, 14 halftime lead, like even considered anywhere near safe. Like, no, right. You know, you got to come out throwing. So I, I don't know. I like the chargers. (laughs) All
1: right. And there is a, um, a, a, a proud history of Kellens achieving well with the chargers. So there's that. That's true. That's true. So, I mean, that's just basic science that I'm dropping on you there. I mean,
0: listen, I I can still distinctly remember uh, Kellen Winslow, you know, in one of the best Alcola fantastic finishes of all time, limping Uh off the field Uh in that 41-38 game against the Dolphins.
1: Yeah, you knew the score off the top of your head. And that's honestly that cross through when you took over 55, over 50 and a half in uh, Dolphins Chargers. I was thinking of that game. So it it it. was so that that would have gone over 70 and a half.
0: Yes, (laughs)
1: All right, Um, I will finish up with a Thursday night baseball bet uh, meeting of two teams fighting for playoff berths, Diamondbacks and Reds, and the D-backs bullpen has been a mess of late. Uh, You'll recall, I, I bet their win total over after we had Brad Feinberg on, and They're not doing so well. Repeatedly, I've seen them take a lead into the eighth or ninth and blow it. Um, So let's just do a first five innings bet here and keep the bullpen out of it. They have the better starting pitcher, Merrill Kelly. The question is whether he'll get any run support. But in their last nine games, the D-backs are 6-1 and 2 in the first five innings. FanDuel has them at minus 140 to be leading after five. I kept shopping around and saw BetMGM has them a much more reasonable minus 120. So there you go. 120 to win 100. Diamondbacks to lead after 5 tonight. I thought about SGPing it, but um nope. I'm I'm not going to Jeff it up this week. I'm I'm just going with a straight single leg bet on this one.
0: Yeah, that's the best way to win usually. Yeah. Um all right. Yeah, no, it's I mean there's signs behind that one, that's for sure. More <laughs> than I have.
1: Yeah, well, right. With that low bar but uh, all right. <laughs> that'll do it for this episode of Gamble on. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to this week's guest, Matthew Berry. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to US for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out.
0: So Prime Sportsbook, the brainchild of Adam Bjorn and Joe Brennan Jr., got the go-ahead in Ohio, and they are hopefully going to get their go-ahead in New Jersey any day now. No launch date yet, but uh, I expect them to launch in Ohio pre-NFL season. Uh, And these are the first two states that Prime Sportsbook is going to be launching in, and their playbook to do so is decidedly old school. A lot of word of mouth. You're not going to see a lot of advertising, if at all. Uh, They're also in in just a shocking display of uh, upfrontedness, when you go to bet, let's say I'm going to take the Giants plus three and a half. As soon as that's populated in the bet slip, mm-hmm. it will tell me how much I'm allowed to bet, you know, what my maximum is on that game. Mm. And that maximum will not change whether it's me or you or anyone. Sharp, square, anything in between, everyone's going to get the same limits. All right? What a novel idea. Uh, I'm rolling my eyes, by the way. <laughs> um yes. I'm going to have a story on them really before they launch, but they're going to be the first, you know, really outside of Circa, to bring, you know, the quote, old school ways of sports betting to the new world we live in. Uh, as a Jersey resident myself, I won't be surprised if the majority of my betting goes through them as I check notes. Can't bet more than five or six bucks anytime I go to bet MGM, DraftKings, bet 365, points bet, and probably a few others without getting limited, you know, to pennies. Right. Um, of all the big sports book news this year, I guess what I'm trying to say is, don't be surprised if we look back in five years and realize that Prime might have been the biggest news. Until then, gamble on.